Welcome back to another episode of Fast Break Lip NBA Podcast. It's your boy Samuel here. I'm back at it again with my guy Nick. Nick, say what's up to the people. What's going on, bro? I'm happy to be back part of the show. I'm going to say it's like my fourth or fifth time on, so definitely have to be back on talking hoops. For sure. So we got a lot to talk about, um, especially since my last episode. Um, we talk about, we, we're definitely going to talk about, um, draft lottery that just happened last night recording this as of wednesday wednesday afternoon um before the hawks and bucks kick off um and then we can we're also going to talk about a lot of these teams that got eliminated recently in the nets the sixers and the jazz and then we'll talk about this exciting western conference finals that we've got going on between the suns and the clippers and then we'll also preview um the Bucks and the Hawks Eastern Conference Finals. So, um, let's start off with the draft lottery. Um, I think, I think a lot of people were kind of, um, I guess a lot of people were hoping for a lot of like chaos and a lot of like jumps and stuff like that. But um, the only teams that really jumped were, I want to say, Toronto jumped for sure. And Cleveland jumped as well, right? Yeah, they're they're at number three, like right behind Houston. Yeah, so those two were the two teams that jumped. I think myself included, I was one of those people that was like, oh boy, Cleveland's about to get number one again, aren't they? But um, thankfully they did not. Um, So the draft order is Detroit, number one, Houston, number two. Um, Number three, Cleveland, number four, Toronto. Um, and then after that, it's, I believe it's Orlando at five. Mm-hmm. Um, number six is OKC. Thank goodness they didn't get rewarded for tanking. Um, Warriors at seven. Magic at eight. They get that from Chicago. Number nine is the Kings. Number 10 is the Pelicans. Number 11 is the Hornets, number 12 is the Spurs, number 13 is the Pacers, and number 14 is the Warriors. So, I mean, I think number one is pretty safe to say that the Pistons will take Cade Cunningham. Um, What do you think about, what do you think they keep Killian? How do you think that dynamic works out with Killian and him? Well, I guess the thing is, I mean, Killian Hayes did show a good run throughout the season, even though he missed like a good portion of the year with that knee injury per se. So I don't know if, if Detroit will try to make those two coexist, even though I'm, I'm even though I'm me, I'm pretty sure Kate is going to automatically get that starting position. So that'd be a tough one. I don't know if possibly they'll play it out this year and then they'll see what happens. And then maybe possibly try to find a new, a new destination for Killian. But I mean, I, I mean, I mean, we 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 can both agree that I mean, it's it's basically going to be Kate Cunningham's team going forward. I mean, especially since since they got this number one pick. Yeah, I mean, I could I could probably see them trying to do like a two a two point guard thing the way Cleveland do, does it right now, and then we'll see how they move on from there. Um, because I mean, I 
I I I would say, I would believe I believe it's safe to say you can run Cade with some off ball stuff, but I mean he's best utilized on ball. Exactly. And, and and the same with Killian too. So it's gonna be a weird dynamic. It's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, and I think we'll probably get our first glimpse of those two together in the summer league. So that would be very interesting. Right. So um, like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to like I'm trying to view like how those two could work because I'm pretty sure if those two are starting in the backcourt. I'm sure Kitty and I'm Killian will probably play more on ball. I mean, kind of like you said, and they probably will have to run some plays from Cade. But I'm trying to think like, like, will that take away from like a lot of Cade versatility? The fact that he's not like distributing, he's not like really running the floor like 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 he usually does, like at, um, at Oklahoma State. So it, it's it's kind of hard trying to visualize like how that'll work, honestly. Yeah. So I mean, we'll we'll just have to wait and see um, in the summer league how that plays out. Um, number two, the Rockets, I think it's pretty safe to say they probably go with, um, Evan Mobley, I guess, because, um, I mean, even though they got Christian Wood there, maybe they package Christian Wood and they, they send him somewhere else, maybe possibly, but who knows? It's going to be very interesting to see where the draft goes from there because at number three, you got, um, the Cavs and they could take. They could take another guard and then move on from either Sexton or Garland, or they could take um, they could take either Kuminga if they want to really stretch at three for him, or they could go for someone else, whoever fits their bill, or or they could even trade down if they really want to. So they they really could. So there's a lot of options available for Cleveland. I think Cleveland is where the draft gets interesting. Yeah. Um... I'm trying to. I'm also trying to visualize Evan Mobley in Houston as well. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I honestly did kind of want OKC to possibly get like a top two or three pick just so, just so um, Evan Mobley could go there and possibly team up with Shea Gilgis Alexander, Lou Dort, and, uh, and those other guys. But that that will be interesting to see like how how Mobley will be able to continue to develop as a player and possibly be a good option for Houston alongside Christian Wood, but. I don't. I honestly don't know if that would be able to work. I mean, I do kind of agree with you. Like, possibly. I mean, Christian Wood is what, right, twenty three, twenty four years old, or maybe a little bit older than that. So, he still has a lot of value as of right now. I mean, I know, I know he did have an injury prone year this past year, but I'm sure that somebody else will probably pick him up in a um, in a trade or so. Yeah, he's twenty five, so he's still pretty young. Yeah, he's bounced around a lot, so there's that. But I mean, he's still pretty young. The contract is easily movable. Because it's a very affordable contract, and you know, a lot of teams would probably want Christian Wood services, especially like contenders. So it's going to be interesting from there. Um, also with the draft is um, the Magic and the Warriors both have two picks in the lottery, so that's going to be interesting what they see, what they do with those two. T- with those two picks because with the, the the Orlando Magic they are a rebuilding team and you know they can easily just keep those picks and select players and develop them with their core um and then with the Warriors I mean we already heard multiple comments from their owner um and their GM about like what they see moving forward especially with like Steph and like this team and you know it doesn't really sound so good to Warriors fans right now but um yeah i mean it seems like they're going to pick they're they're going to keep these two picks and it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with those two picks as well um i'm not really so heavily 
invested in the draft as of yet. I've had the benefit of my my team not not missing the playoffs, so I haven't had much time to focus on the draft um, until recently. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, in their spot, I mean, at seven, I saw like a couple mock drafts have them taking Davion Mitchell. I watched Davion Mitchell a bunch this year. I don't know if he's really the guy you take at that spot, but I do like Franz Wagner for them in mm-hmm. that 14 spot. I mean, he's a versatile forward from what I've seen and heard. Um, can play, make a bit, can create a little bit, um, and a great defender. So, I mean, it kind of fits the bill of what Golden State looks for in their in their in in their draft picks when they are when they're picking recently. So, but I mean, as a Warriors fan, what, what what do you think they should do with those two picks? At this point, I don't even know to be honest. I mean, I, I guess you could say Davion Mitchell would be a good pick just because I mean. He can put the ball on the floor. He can create his own shot, and plus he's a he, and plus he's a phenomenal defender as well. But I don't know. I mean, I, in all honesty, I mean, like in all honesty, like nowadays, like you really don't know what's going on in that Golden State front office. I mean, we didn't we didn't do good at the trade deadline, and now 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 that we do have these two picks, I'm not sure what will happen. I don't know. If, I don't know if like you know by the by the time the draft comes around, we might trade down for him, or we might actually get a solid pick. But who knows? But I don't know. I mean, it, it, it'll be really interesting to see like what, what those guys in the front office would do. Yeah. I mean, the, the Warriors front office hasn't been one that seems to be prioritizing, maximizing Steph's remaining prime years. They just seem to like, they seem to want to go this route of, Hey, let's develop while we still try to like eke out some wins and, you know, well, it's also because I I don't know what it is, but they still, I don't know. I guess they still believe in this big three of Steph, Clay and Draymond, when in reality, I mean, Steph is, what, 33, 34 years old now. Draymond's in his 30s. Clay's also in his 30s, coming off of two Two, major injuries. Yep. So, in my opinion, like, they should go younger and possibly build around these guys to help them continue to compete. But, I mean, it's kind of like I said, I mean, you really never know, like, what these guys are thinking and what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, and and then, of course, you know, the the comments from their owner, Lakeup, recently about um, Steph, like, just he's like, hey, if Steph wants to leave, he can go ahead. I mean, those type of comments aren't really promising, especially after, like, what they've done recently in terms of moves and, like, personnel on the team. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do draft night, because I think draft night will probably dictate what they do um, going into free agency as well as, um, like, their outlook on the season with clay coming back so very interesting times ahead in golden state i, I, would I say. want to ask you something though like where, where do you possibly see a guy like Jalen Suggs going like do you see him possibly being like the three to five range yeah i could definitely see that i mean it's it, it one thing that's been tricky about like his um categorization i guess you can say is like the role that he played at Gonzaga kind of makes it difficult to really gauge what role he would play in the NBA because he played like an off ball combo guard kind Mm -hmm. of, and he didn't really have, he didn't have a lot. He had on ball reps, but he like, he didn't have like, I guess enough for at least people that are evaluating the draft to um, evaluate whether he's like a legitimate, a a legitimate playmaker. Um, And yeah, I mean, I could definitely see him going to like a team like maybe Toronto or Cleveland or even Orlando. I could see any of those teams from three to five taking I think, him. 
I think Orlando could definitely work with. I mean, I, I'm just asking because you know throughout the throughout the entire like we're not, not not the entire NCAA tournament, but like the majority of the tournament when Gonzaga was making it to the championship, people were all people were like out of nowhere switching saying that Suggs was the number one overall pick over Cade, and I was saying I don't I personally don't believe that Suggs is a better player than Cade Cunningham. He is phenomenal per se, but I think Cade has more of a package to his game where he can not also like you know get shots off himself and score himself, but also make the others around him better. Yeah, and the thing with Suggs is that he played on such a great Gonzaga team. It's really hard to gauge like how much of their success was solely on him because like they've had guys like Kisper and and Timmy and and Andrew Nemhard. Exactly. So it's like it was a loaded team, and like he played his part and he played it well. But it's like from that, a lot of people are like, is he like is he a is he an, is he a combo guard? Is he a connector like a Tyrese Halliburton sort of kind of guard? Or, like, can he really be, like, a primary? Can he, like, initiate your offense and all that type of stuff? And, you know, I mean, it's it's up to that team that drafts him to see where, what what they actually want him to be and, like, work with him towards developing towards that. And from there, we'll see how he goes. But, I mean, I think he's a he's a great he's a great um guard prospect. I wouldn't really draft him to be my primary though. If like right, if he was if if it was my team specifically, like in the Knicks, I wouldn't draft him to be my primary offer. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I mean, a, a lot of that a lot of that um talk about him going number one was like just like March Madness delusion, where like exactly. everyone just like starts like saying like this guy is gonna go like top fifteen because like his 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 March Madness run or something like it's all it's all definitely recency bias. Oh, of course, yeah. I can definitely see possibly Toronto possibly using him. Well, I, I think Toronto's still in that in that position to where they can be a playoff team. And possibly Suggs can possibly help contribute to that as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so um moving off of the lottery, let's talk about some before we get into Western Conference Finals, let's talk about some games that happened in the past, you know, the implications that means for some of these teams going forward into free agency, draft, all that good stuff. So first let's talk about the Jazz Clippers briefly. The Terrence Mann game, as people would probably call it in the history books later down the line. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought this was go. I thought this game was a wrap at like after halftime. Definitely. Um, and like even though the Clippers made a run in that third quarter, like in the beginning of the third quarter, and then the Jazz made another run to like push it back to twenty one, I was like, yeah, this game is done. Let's head back to Utah. We're going for Game 7. We're about to have a weekend full of Game 7s. Let's get it rolling. And then the Clippers woke up. They started spacing out the floor. They spread it out. Um, five out. Um, and they basically just kept attacking the paint, forcing Rudy Gobert to commit. And, like, they just kept blowing by every single Utah defender and, like, I know Utah's had like a good defense all year, but like my goodness, how much is it really all all on um Gobert? How much is it on Conley when he's fully healthy? Royce O'Neal being their best perimeter defender. I mean, like there's just a lot of holes there. And like Clippers exploited that and every time Rudy co- committed to stopping the drive, open corner threes and Terrence Mann, Reggie Jackson, all those guys they feasted and I mean for me, it's like Rudy Gobert has been exploited by f- small ball lineups in the playoffs four out of the last five years. 
Oh yeah, without question. And it's just like, what do you do at this point? Where where do you go from here? Like he hasn't developed any single sort of offensive game where he can expose small ball lineups. And like they're just continuously able to do these to him and his team. And the reason why the Jazz haven't touched the conference finals during this Donovan Mitchell Gobert era, I mean, you can put it all on that. So, I mean, what what do you think they should? What what do you think has to change with with Utah? It's it's tough because it's 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 crazy though because like. Utah really does, I guess, I guess like the front office per se, like they really do love Gobert and what he brings to the table. I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from him. He is is a great interior defender, but I mean, it's kind of like you said, like whenever teams go small, but like, for example, the Clippers, when they had Batum and Morris and Terrence Mann, all these guys, like, you know, going five out, you know, he does get exploited a lot. And we, and we saw that in game six, particularly in the second half, especially in, in the fourth quarter. So I don't, I don't know why Quinn Snyder didn't really make that major adjustment that was needed because I'm sure that he was aware that Gobert was really getting exploited in that game six, but I don't know why he just didn't make the adjustment, but I don't, I don't know if possibly Gobert ends up, you know, moving on from Utah. I mean, I know, I know he just got that extension, so I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to want to keep him for a while, but I don't, I don't know if they can possibly even get to a conference finals per se. I mean, with, with, you know, with Gobert on the team, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, honestly, I mean, like, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, the formula is out there now, like every team, when they play the jazz, they're just going to equip their team to um, play five out. And like, even if you don't play five out, if you're the nuggets or something, you got Nikola Jokic who can just have his way with, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have his way with Gobert like all the time, I would say. I mean, like some people can give um, Jokic issues, but like, I mean, yeah, but yeah. Um, one one trade proposal that I heard that was really interesting when I was listening to um Temple of Hoops podcast with um with Maples, um and it, um I th- I believe it was Kings. He said that um call up um call up Atlanta for John Collins and Capella after these playoffs. And offer them Rudy Gobert for him, for them. And the thinking behind that was, um, you're gonna have to pay. They're gonna have to pay John Collins, mm-hmm. and they already have Capella. So it's like, why don't you just add those to their um, to the Jazz's um group to make their, I guess, their lineups more versatile, where you can play like Collins at the five and stuff like that, um. And yeah, My thing is, do you possibly see Atlanta possibly making that move? Um, I don't know. I mean, Atlanta seems like they're pretty like. I mean, they're probably. I mean, I don't know if they're shocked at how far they they've gone, but like, there's got to be some level of like, oh snap, we just like did this with like this group of core guys and stuff like that. So I don't know. Maybe they're not inclined to break it up. But I mean, do the Hawks really want to pay John Collins all that money because like? John Collins has some limitations to his game, and we kind of saw it in a couple of those Sixers games. I mean, the Sixers weren't completely able to take advantage of it because of, you know, God knows how many other reasons um, with how inept they are. But, um, yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't know. It was just an interesting trade. I don't know if Atlanta does it because Atlanta may be comfortable with the guys that got them there per per se. So yeah. It's 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 honestly kind of difficult though. I mean, I guess I guess, I guess like it it'll definitely benefit Utah, you know, just t- having Mitchell alongside guys, a guy like Collins and a guy like Capella, who is also a great um, interior interior defender as well. But I don't know. I mean, I mean, John, John Collins is a John Collins. I don't know if he's a star yet. Like I think he has the potential to be, but then again, like he doesn't often show that he can that that he has star potential sometimes. I mean, like and we and I mean you, you, you even said something about it like during the Philly series. I mean, there were often times where, you know, he didn't look like, you know, like like a second option per se. So I don't know. I mean I mean John Collins has like all the utmost potential in the world, but I don't think he is like exceeded like to being a star just yet, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very tricky because like they just have to equip their t- if not, if they keep Rudy Gobert, they have to equip their team to be able to either defend small um defend the small ball lineups that they always get exposed by or just have the wing defenders capable enough to contain guys so they're not always just driving into the lane and kicking out to open corner threes because that was the main issue that presented itself because I mean Bogdanovich and Ingles they're solid I guess but like they're not like they're not yeah, stopping they're not anybody like, so mm-hmm. they're not like locked down exactly so I mean, you just got to – and they don't even have the money to really go and invest in wing defenders. And, like, even in their drafting this past year, I mean, they dr- drafted Yudoka as a bookie. I don't know if that's really the guy that you really wanted to get. You could probably could have invested in a wing defender. I don't know who was available at that time in that spot. But, I mean – Stuff like this. This is why all this stuff matters. Drafting when you're like capped out as a team because you're paying guys, you're paying all these guys max money. So, I mean, it's gonna be very interesting for the Jazz to see where they go in the off season. I mean, they pretty much been running back the same sort of team over the last couple of years, with the exceptions of like swapping out Ricky Rubio for Mike Conley and then like swapping out Bogdanovich for Crowder and. Inserting Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson, so yeah, I mean, it's, but it's pretty much been the same core there for a while, and sometimes you need to shake things up. So, yeah, I I definitely think that they need to shake things up possibly sooner. Like if not if not this year, the possibly next year. I mean, just because I'm looking at the West, I feel like the West is gonna just gonna continue to get tougher. Like Phoenix is gonna be even better. Like you know, depending on how far they go, they're gonna have a lot of momentum and a lot of confidence going into next year. Um, Denver will be back with Jamal Murray. Um, there's a lot of other teams. The Clippers will be back. The Lakers, people, people, people believe that the Lakers will be back. So the West is only going to get tougher going from here on now. So the Jazz would definitely have to make some adjustments to remain like in the top contention. Yeah. Um. So let's move on to. I mean, okay. Yes. Let's move on to another game seven. Well, not another game seven, but the first, the first game seven that we were able to watch this past weekend. Um. It was a pretty good game. I mean, um, my only criticism of the the flow of the game was interrupted by the referees way too many times, which has been a common thread throughout these playoffs and just the season in general. But um, other than that, it was a pretty good duel between Giannis and and KD. Um, yeah, I mean, Giannis with the forty points, thirteen rebounds, five assists in a game seven on the road. I mean, there's not much 
more you can ask for from him. I mean, there were stretches where like the 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 Bucks were dead in the water, and he would himself go on runs just to keep them alive yeah. and like keep them in striking distance, so that way the Nets didn't pull away. Um, and like he held it down for the team long enough for Drew and Chris to finally wake up and be able to contribute something towards the end of the bat end of the game and and contribute on both ends those those guys did i mean they made some some great stops um and you know drew hit some timely baskets in that fourth quarter so i mean all props to him for for showing up when they needed it like at the absolute most and then lastly for for me on the on on the buck side is um brooke lopez being able to just stay on the floor late in the game was key for them I mean, he came up Definitely. with a, he came up with like a clutch block on on KD. He was altering mm-hmm. shots in the paint, and he was able to like just he was able to just stay on the court and like bother things. And I mean, that's that's all you can ask for from Brook Lopez, I guess nowadays because he's just so slow footed and whatnot. So I mean, yeah, and, and I mean on the net side, KD doing KD things, um, and you know missed the shot at the end of the game, air ball. I kind of reveled in that because you know. Uh, I, I could I, I could imagine the type of shots that he was hitting. Imagine if he was hitting those in MSG as a Knicks fan, and he spurned us. So you know, I'm always gonna have that little saltiness there. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what did what did you think of the, th- this game? Um, you, you, I mean, honestly, you basically hit the hail on, nail on the head with the um, Bucks. I mean, I mean, Giannis was in attack mode from the beginning, and I mean, and it, it's crazy though because a lot of people are not even like necessarily talking about him. Like the, the narrative, like throughout that game seven, was you know. KD having 48 points and KD hitting that big shot to force overtime. But, I mean, Giannis had a strong game himself, just really keeping the Bucks afloat. And I'm definitely happy for Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday because I don't know what it is. Chris Middleton has just been struggling on the road, per se, throughout this entire playoff series. So for him, for him to be able to come through, like, especially in the fourth quarter, in the fourth quarter overtime, to help them win that game was phenomenal, and then also, I mean, and then also Drew Holiday as well. I, 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 I want to say there was a stretch where he shot like three for eighteen, three for nineteen, mm-hmm. yep, throughout the game. So for him to hit clutch threes and for him to get like you know good defensive stops was remarkable. And and as far as on the as far as on the net side, I mean, it was basically just kind of all KD per se. I mean, I know I know Harden had like twenty two nine and nine, but for the for the Nets to get zero production out of the bench for Joe Harris to, um, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't know what was up with Joe Harris throughout throughout like throughout, throughout like most of that series. Like he just could not buy a basket to save his life. So for the most part, for Brooklyn, it was really just you know KD having to lead the way. And I mean, you could tell like throughout like throughout like the stretch of that fourth quarter and even going down to overtime, like it was just wearing them down. So you know, I mean, like it was more of a team effort per, per se from Milwaukee rather than you know on Brooklyn side, it was kind of like a one man show. Yeah, and I mean, this is what happens when you go top heavy in the league. I mean, mm-hmm. when your stars go down, you gotta hope for the best with your role players and your depth, and you just hope that they're able to give you something. And on the Bucks side, I mean, on the Nets side, it just didn't happen. I mean, Joe Harris. When you look at Joe Harris's um, playoff game log, um, it's not that. It's not that pretty. It's not. I can't even imagine to be honest. And I mean, like, it's it's crazy though because I've always I've always said that this year Brooklyn has some solid guys like you know on their bench, but I just don't know what happened. Like I mean, even Jeff Green, Jeff Green had like twenty four points in Game Five, and you know what I'm saying. So it's like you know Brooklyn has 
players who can step in and step up when needed to. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess maybe the pressure was just too too much for him. The light's too bright. Yeah. It's too bright. And I mean, Joe Harris was just abysmal in that. I mean, that's that's the that's the price you pay for like paying someone like Joe Harris. I mean, regular season he's gonna kill it from three, but like these three point shooters in like the playoffs, they get xed out of offenses because when you force them to do other things, they can't do anything. I seen this with my own guy back in two thousand two thousand twelve. Steve Novak oh, was yeah. a sniper for my Knicks. Forty-seven percent in the in in the regular season, I believe it was. Playoffs, non-factor, non-factor. He couldn't do anything because, like, he literally cannot do anything if you make him put the ball on the floor, basically. And like these type of shooters, you pay them all this bread, and they can't do anything in the playoffs. Now it's looking crazy, and now you got to trade dudes in the off season. Uh, and like another thing with the Nets, I mean, like, like like you said, they had no production from their bench. They paid DeAndre Jordan ten million dollars to basically be like, what a coach, basically, like a coach in uniform. Like he he don't do anything. Like when I saw them gave that, when I saw that they gave him that contract, I laughed because I knew exactly why they gave him that contract. It's because he's friends with Kyrie and KD, and I knew exactly what was going to happen too. I knew that he wasn't going to play in the postseason. I knew that this contract was going to look like a waste of money. And now they're probably going to be looking desperate to attach their first round pick this year to have someone take this contract off their hands. And that's that's also one of the reasons why I, I was kind of upset with Brooklyn when they had to um, give up Jared Allen to get James Harden because I mean I, I know honestly like Jared Allen is a really solid big that they pro- possibly could have utilized throughout this postseason. Like, in, in my opinion, he would have made a difference more so than, like, you know, guys like Blake Griffin, you know? Yeah, and, like, another thing that was that was really the, that I guess I found kind of funny was all throughout the season, all this hype about Nick Claxton, the Playboy Cardi lookalike, like, and for him to get one second of game time in a game seven, I mean, I just found that hilarious because, like, I like, people couldn't shut up about him all year and, like, here it is, chips on the table. He's arguably one of your best defenders, according to the fans and according to people on the team, and he's getting no run. I mean, exactly. that, that's just weird to me. And, I mean, I know Steve Nash was kind of taken after the MDA um, school of thought behind his rotations, but, I mean, you got to try something and everything in a game seven. And, I mean, just didn't. and. Right. Got schooled by Bud, and Bud is probably confused of how he even got here too. But exactly, and then another thing as well for Brooklyn. I mean, Bruce Brown. I mean, I love him. I mean, he does play hard, but he he's not he's not a true big. I mean, like he, he honestly like he can't be a, he can't be under the basket trying to shoot floaters over Giannis or try to even like defend Giannis per se. I, I don't I don't I don't know what was going on there, but you know what I'm saying like he was just, he was getting bullied down there. And I mean, I, I mean and I mean like I said, I mean I love him. He does play hard, but. There's no way that you know he's going to be able to defend Giannis or even shoot over Giannis, being at like six five six six. Yeah. Um. Last thing before we move on to the the last game seven. Um. Shout out Pat Connaughton. He was the only person to score off the bench for both teams in this game, and I feel like that was the difference within itself. And he had some timely, timely threes, especially I think his last yeah, three yeah. that he made. Like mm-hmm. Nets were going on like a mini run to like kind of stretch the lead out. And then Pat Connaughton basically came down the court and just drilled a three. And then 
it kind of eased the the bucks a little bit. And I think that's that was kind of a turning point, like a little minor minor turning point for the bucks in that game where they realized, all right, let's calm down. We got this. Like we're still in this. Like there's no need to panic. Because I feel like if Pat bricked that three, then if the Nets came back down and scored, the Bucks would have been starting. They would have started getting in their head and started jacking up a whole bunch of bad shots, which they were really prone to do in in like games four and five and stuff like that. So, shout out to Pat for for helping them out there on the bench. Um, let's move on to the next game. Next, the next game seven, probably the most talked about game seven this past weekend. Um, yeah, Sixers Hawks, the Kevin Herter game. Um, I mean, let's 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 just get that right down to the nitty gritty with the with the Sixers, Ben Simmons. I mean, yep. You 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 want to start first with Ben Simmons? I'll say this though, like you know. I, I definitely had higher expectations for Philly. I definitely thought that they would have made an Eastern Conference Finals appearance, but I think I think now, considering that they lost in the second round, I think I think it's time to make some major changes, which also involves the Ben Simmons trade. I mean, I love Ben Simmons; he plays hard. Like, and I, and I've and I've been on record saying this. I know a lot of people may disagree, but I think Ben Simmons' lack of perimeter shooting is probably the one thing that's keeping or that's holding him back on becoming a superstar. Because when you look at his game, I mean, what else can he not do? I mean, he can defend one through five. He can distribute the ball. He can run the floor. He can attack. So, like, he can basically do just about everything but shoot. So, like, when you look at that from that perspective and look at him, you know, and look at the performance that he put in that put on in that game seven, I mean, it's just it's just it's just atrocious, honestly. And then um and then also, you know, I'm looking at the game, it's like two minutes left. And I'm 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 literally asking myself like to Doc and I'm like yo like why is ben, why is Simmons still in the game why is Simmons still in the game with like two minutes to go I mean we are we already know what's gonna happen here so I was honestly hoping that Atlanta would do a hack of Ben just because I mean look if Doc Rivers is gonna keep that man on the floor then Atlanta minus will take advantage and that was when they already had momentum Trey Young had hit some um, some big shots I want to say Kevin Herter hit some big shots as well so Atlanta had already had momentum so I was like you know you might as well capitalize off of that. And send Ben Simmons to the free throw line, but for Ben Simmons to have, I want to say, yeah, like six points or two or four shooting, for him to have like that type of performance in a crucial game seven where you are the second option and your team needs you the most, I, I just, I just think it's just like atrocious to me. So I definitely see Ben Simmons end, end up getting traded this year because Philly, Philly does need to shake up this roster because it's, it's definitely not working over these past few years. Yeah, I, I got I I got a lot of things to say about this. I mean, it's for me it's not even Ben Simmons can't shoot. He won't shoot. And like Exactly. Like Giannis can't shoot, but he will shoot. And like that keeps the defense a smidge a smidge more honest on him. And like it, it forces them to commit to him just a little bit more than Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, they're packing the paint with Giannis, they're packing the paint, but like if he shoots like a couple of threes, then you know, the defense is still a little bit, you know, wary of, you know, it might go in, it might not, but, you know, at least we know he's taking them and he's willing to show that he wants to, like, improve on different parts of his game. And, like, exactly. with, with, even with Giannis, it's not even all about threes with him. It's just, like, developing that mid, that mid-range that mid 10 to 15-foot shot, um, post move stuff like that. Stuff like that Ben Simmons should already improve on, like, he came in. I remember his summer league in 2016. I know those clips are like floating everywhere now, of him taking step backs, 
pull-ups, like coming off screens and stuff and like hitting mid-range jumpers, hitting post fadeaways. Like he had, he had a bag basically as the people like to say, but he's regressed and like, he's regressed in like almost every type of like aggression or scoring aspect. I mean, you go back to his first playoffs in the league in 2018, he was shooting like 71% from free throw line. That's pretty respectable. And yeah, it's pretty yeah, easy. And now he's at like 33, 30%. Like it's just it's just insane the 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 regression that he's made offensively in his game. Um and it's just like you can't have that type of player on the court in the playoffs and you can't be playing that you can you can't be paying that person max money too. I mean, I understand all the other stuff that he does, but like the the offense like playoffs is where you make your money and Ben Simmons be making right. no money in the playoffs. Like it's just simple as that. And one thing that bothered me the most, but I had to laugh is like, he said, I am who I am. And it's just like, that just shows you the mindset of what, of how Ben Simmons has been and why he's where he's at right now. And it's just like guys like this. I mean, I don't know if it's going to take another another coaching staff if it's gonna take another um franchise in general just like 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 he just needs to be traded somewhere and i think that will probably be a wake-up call or maybe it won't i mean i don't i don't know with him i mean i felt like a lot of these past events would have been wake-up calls by now but it just seems to not be working and yeah i mean and it also with doc mm-hmm. doc I was just about to get into Doc, that. Doc, I mean, with the, the first of all, you see that they're hunting Seth Curry and George Hill, and you continue to play not even just one of them, but both of them, and together at times. I mean, I just don't know what to say. I mean, it's not even surprising. It's just like disappointing at this point because it's like you would hope the guy would have learned from the past and. Once again, Doc Rivers is going home with the better team. Um, and it makes that comment of Ty Lue was right next to me even worse because, yeah, he was right next to you and you are obviously ignoring his advice or whatnot. So, I mean, but, yeah. Yeah, um, Doc Doc definitely looks bad. Doc, Doc just continues to be in the same position every single year, and that's why he's losing respect as a as a great head coach. I mean – Everybody likes to brag about that 2008 championship on his resume. I mean, w- I mean, which is pretty good. But I mean, when you look at the resume after that, like, okay, like I, I think I think I saw something on my um, timeline. So you look at him, like he, I, th- I think he, I want to say he's blown a lead at least every single year because I remember 2010 he blew a lead to the Lakers. That's how the Lakers won the championship. I want to say he blew a lead to Miami one year. That's how Miami ended up making yep. to the finals. Then he then he also has two three one losses, uh, both with the Clippers, and then the same thing here. I mean, you're up. Two one, you know, you end up blowing a twenty point lead in um in game four. You do the same thing in game five. They somehow got a game six. And all and all honestly, like if Atlanta shooters were shooting at a better rate, they probably would have lost probably. that game as well. And then also and then also in game seven where you do have an opportunity and you just don't make any nece- any necessary jumps adjustments. So and then and then I also saw a comment too where I guess I guess Doc was at the podium and he said and he was talking about how the Sixers got swept last year and how they made it to the second round this year and how this is not a um it's not a disappointing season. And I'm like, bro, like are are you, are you serious right now? Like you have two all stars on your team. You guys are automatically contenders. 
Like, you know what I'm saying? Like a second round exit is not something to look, be proud of and say, oh, okay, oh, okay, we'll, 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 we'll be back next year to um, figure it out. Like, no, like it's, it's either, it's either championship or bust with a, with a team like Philadelphia. And, and that's why they brought you in and got rid of Brett Brown because they believe that you were the guy that was going to take them there. So, I mean, like I said, Doc just continues to be in the same predicament. If it were me personally, I probably wouldn't even bring him back if I was a um, GM, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure El- Elton Brand and those guys are probably going to give him another year to see, to see, to see if he can help them get. Yeah. Him. I think what they do is they trade Simmons, give Doc another year. If, if it ends up being another second round exit, Doc is gone and he probably doesn't get another job in the league again, probably because like this is just ridiculous at this point. Probably not. Um, and you know I'm all for black head coaches getting they they they're shine and whatnot. And shout out to Yudoka who got hired by the Celtics today. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you're gonna be a bad black head coach like David Fisdale or something like, or or Doc Rivers, and you're just gonna be inept in the playoffs all the time, like then you just don't need a job because like you need to stop ruining teams franchises. Like, simple as that. Exactly. Um, I mean it's it's obvious that. Teams in the NBA do believe in him because I mean, like right, right, right after Doc had parted ways with the Clippers, like he, I, th- I want to say he literally got a job with Philadelphia like the next day or the next two days. So the people do believe in him, but he's just not proving himself to see like to see like how great of a coach he can be. And, and I mean, and, and I mean, like I said, I mean, people continue to bring this OA championship, but I mean that was 13 years ago. It's like you know, it's kind of it's, it's like what are you doing for me now? It's it's the same thing with Rick Carlisle. You know, Rick Carlisle won the championship in 2011, and since then he hasn't been out of the first round since. So Doc Doc is definitely going to be on the hot seat this year. He's going to have to definitely try to figure out a way to possibly get this team at least to the conference finals because if they do have a, another first round second round exit, then yeah, he's definitely gone. And like, like there's, there's, there's no questions about it. He's probably never going to get another coaching job again. Yeah. And um, I mean, yeah, I mean, with a, with, a, with a star like Joel Embiid, your your window is really small because like his prime is short. He's um, his body is always deteriorating towards the end of the year. And you know, we saw this year even he like he looked dominant at stretches with the torn meniscus. Other times he did not. So I mean, you gotta make the most ideal situation out of that type of star. And the Sixers just haven't. Um, and with um, on the Hawks side, I mean, I am sick to my stomach that my team still lost to the Hawks. Um, I bet. Um, and I'm still hating, still hating on them. Um, I had the Knicks winning that series too, so I mean, I, 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 I've definitely been wrong about Atlanta this year, so. Yeah, but like I didn't I expect to be wrong about Atlanta, but like not to this extent where like they're in the conference finals and they're four wins away from the fi- from the chip from from getting to the finals and it's just like if they get to the finals, I'm just going to probably like I don't know what I'm going to do with basketball takes anymore because it's just it's just like I I I never expect to be this wrong about a team. I mean, like Trey had a like an a pathetic shooting night. And I mean, shout out, oh, yeah, and shout out to him for keep shooting because I mean, at least he was more aggressive, um, more aggressive than Ben Simmons. Who, by the way, I didn't even mention this. How pissed I was at! I wasn't even just pissed at Ben Simmons. I was pissed at Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris because I felt like they left eight points on the table and they lost by seven. Tobias Harris missed a whole bunch of layups, and then Ben Simmons passed out of that dunk. 
an open dunk. He passed it to Matisse Thybul, who missed one free throw. And I feel like Ben Simmons makes that dunk. Tobias Harris makes those layups. They probably win that game. Without question. And, like, see how, like, basketball is, like, so, so precise like that where, like, those things, they always come back to haunt you. And people, they they don't make a big deal of it in the moment. But when you look back at it, you're like, those those were really, like, swing plays. And, like, it just sucks that, you know, they couldn't capitalize. And, I mean, last thing about Doc before I head back over to Atlanta side. I mean, him and Joel just threw Ben Simmons under the bus, like, yes, like crazy. I, I did not. I mean, I guess a lot of other people saw it coming because I'm not really someone that pays attention to, like, a lot of these exit interviews all that often. But I guess, like, it's been a common thread that Doc will throw some of his guys under the bus, I guess, um, after an exit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it seems like like Ben Simmons time there is like legitimately up. I mean, the comments made from Ben from not even just Ben, but um Joel and um and Doc, it just seems like it's time for Ben to go and I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them for that honestly because I mean I I wouldn't be, I wouldn't blame Joel. Doc needs to keep his mouth shut because he stinks as a playoff game. Yeah, Doc, as a playoff coach. That was definitely that was definitely a bad look on Doc, though, to like to like at least throw him under the bus, especially especially like after all like the praise that he's given Ben Simmons this year. Because I mean, like even early, even earlier in the year, he was saying like, "Oh, I trust Ben Simmons to do this. I trust Ben Simmons, you know, to be the guy for us and all that." So even though Ben Simmons did not play well per se, I, I just I, I just felt like it was a bad look for Doc to even say anything like um, when when somebody was like, "Is Ben Simmons um, a, a point guard for the championship team?" and then he goes like, "I don't know that question." I mean, I. I just I just thought it was a bad look on Doc's side per se. Yeah, I mean I can understand Joel's frustration because I mean this has been year in and year out. And the one time he like had like the closest legitimate chance was when Jimmy Butler was there and Ben Simmons didn't want Jimmy Butler back. So I mean I can understand Joel's frustrations probably mounting over the years with Ben Simmons. And you know, Ben Simmons, it looks like his time is up. Um wish him the best in um either Minnesota or Portland because that seems like that's where he's gonna be. At if I were to be a betting man, um, but yeah, I mean, back to the Hawks side. I mean, Trey was aggressive, even though the shot wasn't falling, and you know that kept the defense honest at all times. Um, and you know, if you can't win a game where Trey shoots like that, you just probably weren't meant to win, anyways. But then you have Kevin Herter who comes in, twenty-seven points, I think it is. And just like absolutely ridiculous, um, taking advantage of the height advantage on Seth Curry, and Doc just let it rock, and he was just like whatever with it. And I mean, yeah, the Hawks. You got to give credit to Atlanta, though. I mean, you definitely got to give credit to Naomi Miller and the Hawks. So I mean, they they really exposed philadelphia throughout like a lot of great stretches throughout this throughout this series like i don't know what it is but like it just seems like philly just got way too comfortable like especially like in game four and game five when they have those 20 point leads and you know and b's not being aggressive and the rest of the guys aren't being aggressive and then next you know here come the hawks trey young knocks down shots herder knocks down shots so it's like you know so it's like it's like a consistent rhythm that atlanta's continuing to build and then philly's just on the other side you know, just like just kind of like lackadaisical, and then and then as soon as the lead ends up, ends up getting cut, now everybody's looking around like 
you know, like what happened. So Atlanta definitely, sorry, no, sorry, not, not Atlanta. Philadelphia was definitely keeping their foot off the gas at certain stretches of the games, particularly in the second half. And I mean, like that's, that, that was one of the biggest reasons why they ended up losing the series and like ended up blowing those leads in those few games. Yeah. I'm looking back at the box score and Trey and Bogdanovich are, were a combined seven for 31 from the field. And they still won that game. They still won. That's that's terrible. And it, when you look at Kevin Herter and Gallinari's production, Herter with 27, Gallinari with 17, and a lot of those were off those mismatch hunting that they were doing. And, like, every, Hawks are the type of team that you're supposed to mismatch hunt against them, not them doing it to you. If they're doing that to you, you have a problem. And Doc didn't right. adjust to that, and that's part of the re- – and that's a huge reason why they lost. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, Gallinari just had George Hill on him, and he was just taking it and doing whatever he wanted, got his easy 17 points on 46% from the field. And, I mean, like, 17 points off the bench from Gallo, that's the difference right there in the game. I mean, he scores, like, three points or four points or something like that. They lose this game probably because Trey was giving them nothing, basically, and Bogdanovich wasn't really giving them much. So it's like... You don't make. This is why this was a game that Simmons was just supposed to be aggressive. Like, I mean, like Simmons should have at least given them at least somewhere around the range of fifteen to eighteen. I'm I'm not expecting him to explode in a crucial game seven, but I mean, like to at least be in a more tactical. Because I mean, when you bring up these numbers, you know, Trey Young shooting the ball horribly, Bogdanovich shooting the ball horribly. Actually, Bogdanovich hasn't really shot that well the last like few games. So you know, for, for the Hawks to not really have a great efficient game and for Philadelphia to still lose, it, it, it just shows that this team is not together. They're not in sync. They're not, they're not executing well. Like they're not, I guess, I guess it's just like, they're not together. And that's why they ended up losing the series. Yeah. They, and Philly doesn't come off as a team that like, you see some teams and you like, no, you can tell like they rock with each other and they're having fun when they're playing with each other. With Philly, it don't, it don't seem like that. Like Joel be having fun with the crowd, but like, they don't exactly. seem like they'd be having fun together. I feel like that plays a huge part in like why their teams like have like um varying amounts of success or not even success but like failure over the last couple of years. Right. To me, the two safest guys on Philly this offseason is probably Joel and Seth Curry, in my opinion. Because Seth Seth Curry actually actually shot the ball pretty well in this series. Yeah, I mean, like he can't, like he was their second best player, uh, like for for various points mm-hmm. in, in this series. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he played a really great series. Um, yeah, let's get into Western Conference Finals or just Conference Finals in general. Let's start with the Western Conference. We got Phoenix up two zip. On the clips, heading back to LA with Chris Paul expected to return for Game Three. Game Two was an instant classic, if not for the refs mm-hmm. making the last two minutes, thirty minutes in real time. I mean, the amount of stoppage reviews after, especially oh, yeah. after the alley oop. I mean, like after the alley oop. I don't care how many points of how many tenths of a second is left. Game is done. There's nothing they can do with a full court pass. Exactly. Game is done. Exactly. Like that that review took way too long, but 
I think I mean Chris Chris Paul coming back is definitely going to be a plus, especially going into um, especially going into Game Three in LA. And I, I know I know I know people have confidence in the Clippers considering that they were that, that they were down two zero in the past two series and they were able to overcome that. But this is a different Phoenix Suns team with a hungry Devin Booker. And they and the thing about the Clippers, the Clippers are actually going up against a real solid big man in DeAndre Ayton who can run pick and roll, who can stretch the floor, who can do a multitude of things compared to Chris Das Porzingis and a Rudy Gobert. So even though the Clippers have it running like five out, you know, it it, it 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 obviously shows that, you know, it's not working with a guy like Aiden who is continuing to dominate. So with Chris Paul coming back, I, I definitely expect I'll, – I'll, I'll probably see the Clippers will possibly slide through game three. I, I think I think they'll get game three, but I think I definitely think that with Chris Paul coming back, Phoenix just might possibly take this in five per se. Yeah, if Chris Paul don't come back, I mean – I mean, no, if – not if Chris Paul don't come back. If Kawhi Leonard doesn't come back – it's looking really scary yeah. for for them, be- which I don't believe. He yeah, will. I mean, with, I mean they they've diagnosed it as like an ACL sprain, so I guess it's not that bad. But I mean, you still don't want to rush things back. We've seen in years past with a one Kevin Durant that if you come back too soon, things can get way worse than they need to be. We already know Kawhi Leonard also has a history of lower leg injuries, especially with his degenerative quad um injury. Um, so, you know, you just don't want to take a chance like that. You want to play it safe and you just hope that, um, Clippers can either keep this competitive or make it a series, um, long enough. So maybe Kawhi can come back at full strength or at somewhat full strength. But I mean, yeah, Devin Booker, I mean, he had a horrible game, game two. Oh yeah. I mean, he still hit one of the biggest shots of the game down the stretch. And then he also made a big play on that that alley-oop. He screened Zubac with his broken nose. And I mean, I mean, say what you want. I mean, I feel like a lot see, I feel like other players wouldn't make that play. And I mean, that just blows up the whole play in general. I mean, that was a great play call, a great pass by Jay to throw it like when you look at the instant replay from a certain angle, he barely misses the backboard. So I mean, insane pass insane finish by Aiden who had an insane game 24 and 12 and he's just been killing Zubac and just like whatever he, he gets whatever he wants basically in the paint and I mean a lot of people said this going into this series that um they would not be able to exploit the small ball lineup and exploit Phoenix the way they did with with Utah because like you said, DeAndre is just a more way more versatile big man who has an actual offensive game. Like he can he can hit some mid range shots. He can hit some. He has like some post moves. He can like do a drop step, and like he can do some post hook moves and stuff like that. Like he he's just way better an offensive player than Rudy Gobert is, and he's way more of a threat. So that way he just neutralizes that whole small ball and stuff, and he can just – and it, it forced the Clippers to get out of small ball because now they have to play guys like yeah. Boogie. They have to play Zubac more minutes. Like, they have to match these minutes with Aiden. And, you know, I mean, Aiden is just taking advantage. He's getting whatever he wants, and, I mean, credit to him. And he's gonna continue to do so, honestly, because I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not expecting Boogie, who hasn't, I, I don't even think he's even seen the playoffs at all this postseason. I'm not expecting him to, to possibly shut down 
Aiden or I'm not necessarily expecting um, Zubox to do it either. So, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, de- I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to expect continuous numbers like this from Aiden throughout the, like this entire series. Cause I, I don't, I don't think either one of those guys are going to be able to actually stop Aiden. Yeah, they're, they're not. And Aiden's just going to continue. Is he's, he's just going to have to continue to feast and make them pay for not having. And I mean, I feel like this is where Sergi Baco would have become key and it sucks. And it sucks oh, yeah, that he has to be injured and miss the rest of the season. But I mean, yeah, this is what they brought Ibaka into in for, and he probably would have been able to make life a little bit more difficult on Aiden. But yeah, Aiden's just doing whatever he wants, and I mean, we we can't we can't talk about this series without talking about Cameron Payne. I mean, he had the game of his oh, yeah. life yesterday: oh, twenty nine points, nine assists, no turnovers. I mean, he's just doing his thing. He's definitely gonna get paid this offseason, whether it's by Phoenix oh, yeah. or by another team that needs a point guard like my Knicks or something. Like his his value as a whole has gone up tremendously in his postseason because I mean he, he had a good series against the Lakers in the first round and then he also had a pretty good series against Denver as well. So he's definitely gonna get some money um like in this Yeah and I mean stepping up for Chris Paul and basically being able to not I don't want to say really replicate but I mean it's kind of had to replicate what Chris Paul has done for this team just be a steadying force right. scoring he needs to he's, he's a great finisher inside excellent three point shooter great distributor as well like he's just been able to find his I mean like the story of him being going from you know, I mean everybody said this by now it's like you're probably tired of hearing this if you're listening right now but the story of him going from Westbrook's dance partner and a meme and whatnot to becoming an actual right. NBA player who's able to start on a Western Conference Finals team and produce and give you give you actual production I mean that that just says that just says all it needs to say about his work ethic and like the grind that he had to go through um, to get back to the league. Exactly, because I mean, because I, I mean, a lot of people probably didn't believe that Cameron Payne can actually play. Because I mean, like when when you date back to those OKC to those OKC days with um, with Westbrook and all those other guys, like you know how how often did you really see Cameron Payne on the floor? Like you really didn't see him on there at all. So I, I think a lot of people didn't necessarily believe that he could play. So I think, I think Phoenix definitely helped him expand himself. And then like, and then, it, I mean, it's also just a great opportunity. I mean, Monty Williams is putting his, is putting his trust in him. Um, his teammates are continuing to, are continuing to put their trust in him. So he's really just been dominating. I mean, I, I definitely did not expect, I definitely did not expect a game like this to where he has 29 points, but if he can keep it going, I mean, I'm definitely happy for him. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Clippers have just not been able to stay in front of him. And I mean, I, that, that speed and quickness is becoming a huge advantage for him in this matchup specifically. Like he is just able to get whatever he wants in the paint. And I mean, even when he gets, even when he gets deterred, I guess a little bit by Zubach or whoever's hanging in the paint, he still has like enough awkward touch to get it to drop, which is weird. I mean, but yeah, I mean, he's been able to do his thing. And I mean, shout out to him for that. Um, yeah, I mean, and then Bridges and Crowder—they're giving you solid three-point shooting out there. Mm-hmm. Cam Johnson gave you eight points off the bench last game. I mean, they just been able to do their thing. Going over to the Clippers side, I mean, just talking about last night's game. I mean, Paul George basically was doing everything right until. Until those free throws, I mean, I mean, 
this that's what that's what the playoffs is all about. The pressure on the road. You you gotta show if you really one of those guys and I mean he he's 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 he went bucket for bucket with Devin Booker in game one. But I mean this time it came down to can you just knock down these two free throws and he just couldn't and Exactly, because I mean, like, could you imagine the whole dynamic of that game? Like, if if he does make those two free throws, because I mean, like, if that were to happen, then I mean, like, we possibly don't get a DeAndre Ayton alley oop to win the game. So, like, just 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 missing those two was like really crucial. I, I know I know the Clippers still had the lead at that point, but you know, what I'm saying like that 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 definitely changed the game of like you know how it turned out. Yeah, for sure, and um, I mean, guys like Reggie Jackson. Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris, been able to give you solid contributions in 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 place of Kawhi. Boogie's given you solid minutes, but I feel like Ty Lue kind of goes a little bit too long with his minutes. Like he sometimes puts him in there too long, where like it's like okay, Boogie can start to get exposed a little bit more. He didn't do that so much in game. He didn't do that at all. I think in game two, to my knowledge. But game one, Boogie was able to have his way with Saric. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just this is what it's going to have to be until Kawhi comes back. If he does come back, it's just going to have to be Paul George and then Reggie Jackson got to give you, like, 20. Terrence Mann hopefully give you, like, 15-plus. Marcus Morris maybe t- another 20 right there. And you just got to go from there and hope that it's enough to keep you in these games and eventually win one. I mean... I think the story for the Clippers out of these out of these playoffs has been just the emergence of Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann. I mean, two guys off your bench mm-hmm. that um are now thrust in the starting roles because you know it's playoffs and you know Ty Lue has made adjustment after adjustment in each series to make sure that he he got to this place. And um yeah, I mean they've done their thing. We spoke about Terrence Mann in um in game about in game six of the Utah series, and now he was able to exploit all those open corner threes made off drives from his various Clipper teammates going at Rudy Gobert. And you know, I don't think a lot of those opportunities are going to present itself in this series because you know DeAndre and is a little bit more is way more mobile and adept at going out on the perimeter as well as like the Clippers just can't really space out the floor as much as they want to. In this series, and I mean, um, yeah. What do you th- what do you think about the the Clippers in in this series? Um, I mean, I mean, it's kind of like you said. I mean, Paul George has been doing a lot for them, especially like being a leader, stepping up with Kawhi out. So I, I definitely give props to him. Besides those two missed free throws, and also, I mean, and also Reggie Jackson is conti- is continuing to transcend into into a great role player, into a great starting point guard for this. So definitely pop to him. But I mean they're they're definitely gonna need more production out of guys like Marcus Morris, who I want to say only had like six, seven points in game two and in like another six in game one. So they're definitely gonna need more production out of him. Especially considering what he did in that Utah series where he did have like twenty plus points in a, in consecutive games. So they're gonna need more from him. They're gonna need more from also another guy like Terrence Mann. So I mean they're just gonna need guys to really step up on the offensive end in order to keep a flow. Because I mean, because because I mean, Kawhi's not there, so you know you don't have a guy that's able to get twenty plus twenty five plus. So in order in order for them to possibly overcome the Suns, they're gonna need like everybody on the, everybody that at least gets on the floor to step up. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, um, 
one thing that's got to be encouraging for the Clippers, I guess, on their side, especially heading back home where they're by, they'll probably be more comfortable. But Chris Paul is coming back. But I mean, these last two games, they were really, really close. This this game two, they lost by mm-hmm. one on an, a crazy alley oop play. And then game two, game one, they kind of ran out of gas because they not only did they run out of gas because they recently just played that game six, but um, Paul George also sat for maybe a little few more minutes than expected because Ty Lue just probably wanted to give him a bit of rest because, you know, they just came off that game six. So it's kind of encouraging that they were this close, but I mean, now that Chris Paul is back, it's kind of like, does that really matter anymore? And we'll kind of see in game three um, on Thursday. So, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you see this thing? How do you see this series playing out going forward? I definitely, I, I, I think, I think the Clippers will still win the game three, just because you know they're going to have the crowd behind them, they're going to have momentum playing back on their home floor, and then also you know Chris Paul is going to try to come back, you know, try to get, try to get back into a rhythm as well. So the Clippers would definitely get game three, but I can definitely see Phoenix possibly having a dominant game four, you know, with Booker having a better shooting performance, with Aiton continue to have a double double, and then also Chris Paul getting getting into the mix of that with a combination of like Mikael Bridges and those other guys. So I definitely see Phoenix possibly taking that game four, and and I mean like it, it really sucks though because it's like you know you don't really expect much from the Clippers to overcome this series without Kawhi. So if the Suns do take game four and then have to go back to game five on their home floor, I mean that like all, all that momentum, all that momentum is going to be towards their side. So I definitely, I could possibly see Phoenix taking this in five. If that's fair. Yeah. That's not, that's not too crazy. Um, yeah, I could, I could see that five. I could also see it in six too. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see how that goes. Um, on to the Eastern conference finals where, we got the matchup that no one expected between the Hawks and the Bucks. Um, yeah, it's kicking off tonight as we're recording, so you know we pro- we won't be able to really talk about Game One, but we will be able to give our thoughts ahead of the game and may- still may be relevant. Um, right. What do you think is going to be the biggest X factor in this series on either side? Ah oh, man, that'll be tough. Um, I definitely think for Milwaukee, I mean, they're, they're going to have to definitely slow down Trey Young, which I think, I think, I think they're going to definitely have Drew Holiday defend him for like throughout most of the series. So I, I definitely think that he'll possibly do another good job because whenever Trey Young is effective, like not not even just scoring, but I mean, like at least just like you know being able to distribute and be an initiator, he can really help those other guys get involved. So in order to, in order to slow down Atlanta, you're definitely going to have to slow down Trey Young. And as far as for Atlanta side, possibly defending Milwaukee. I mean, of course, of course, Giannis. One thing, I mean, obviously, forced him to be a more of a perimeter threat than possibly driving to the basket. But also, I mean, I, I guess maybe slowing down the bigs. I mean, Brooke Lopez has played well, um, and then also, I mean, Bobby Bobby Portis has also gotten into the mix as well. So I definitely think maybe controlling the paint can also matter that as well. But I definitely have to see how Game One turns out in order for me like in order for me like to really like understand like what both teams need to do. Yeah, I feel you on that. I, like some, a lot of these series, they're harder to they're easier to evaluate, I guess, after you see at least one game. Um, yeah, yeah. For me, it's like 
how does Atlanta contain Giannis and like, because like you you necessary you need defenders to quote unquote build this wall that teams have loved to do in the past versus Giannis. We really haven't seen it done this much because teams just haven't had the defenders capable, and I don't think Atlanta really does. Um, I wonder if they put Capella on him or do they still they do they keep Capella on. On Lopez, do, do the Bucks go more Giannis at the five now that they've seen how it worked against the, the Nets? Because one thing that was key was those stretches where Giannis was at the five, they made some significant runs. So it's going to be did. very interesting to see if they do that more. And do we see Bobby Portis get time this series? Because he seemed to get phased out of the rotation at the end of um, – towards the end of that 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 net series. So it's going to be interesting to see if Bud goes with more Bobby Portis at the five, you know. Because, you know, the Hawks, they like to do this thing where they'll play, like, Gallo at the five or they'll play, like, Collins at the five. I think that's a perfect opportunity to put Bobby in there. Mm-hmm. He, could, he could take advantage in the post, and then he can also shoot. He can knock down the three. So, Yeah. It'd be an interesting. It'd be an interesting one for sure, but I definitely think uh, Milwaukee can possibly take this in five or six. Per se. Yeah, I, I would say Jan, the 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 Bucks could take this in like six because I know Bud is just gonna have one of those games where his head is up his ass and is just like not gonna know what to do in a certain situation. So hopefully, Bud has watched a lot of film from the past two series and see what the other two bozo coaches didn't do versus Trey to start out their series. And he starts off right off the bat with doing it, which includes like putting your best defender on him and blitzing and stuff like that. And just like forcing other guys, even though like some of them prove to be better creators than we thought they were still try to force those guys to be creators because they're still not as good as Trey is because I mean, Kevin Herter, he's like, he was able to take advantage of a size mismatch versus Seth Curry I don't know if there's going to be that size mismatch versus the Bucks. The Bucks are a way bigger team than than the um, than the Sixers are, even at the guard spots. So, yeah. Uh, it'd be a good one. I definitely believe that Atlanta will give them some problems. I mean, because I mean, like you said, I mean, but but. Sometimes in certain situations, just doesn't know what to do, and he doesn't know like what to um or like how to place his team in the perfect position to to succeed. So I definitely think that Nate Miller will possibly cap- capitalize all that, and that's how we'll possibly see Milwaukee or sorry Atlanta possibly stealing a a game two or a game three just because of those just because of those situations. Yeah, and you know, as as just a Giannis fan, I'm just rooting for Giannis to get to the finals. I mean, he's had this incompetent coach hold him back for so long, and then he had Eric Bledsoe hold him back for a year or two. I mean, it would yeah. just be nice to see Giannis get to the finals. I mean, the Hawks are young. They'll still have time to get back um, in, year, in, in years in the future. I feel Definitely. like Giannis, like, this is, the, this is the golden opportunity for him to finally get to that promised land. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean... It's it's gonna be very interesting who gets in the finals. Regardless, I mean, we got four teams that really haven't been here before in the modern era. So, yeah, it's it's been a really good playoffs. And I mean, when you look at the playoffs ratings, I mean, everybody has this thing 
they say like oh they either say there's big market bias or there's like or they say like oh these small markets don't matter or like it doesn't matter that all these star it doesn't matter since all these stars are eliminated but you know there's new stars on the horizon and you know they're they're being formed right in front of our, our very eyes and you know and you know i mean Definitely. the future of the league is bright so yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, because after a while, you know, you get tired of seeing, you know, LeBron make it deep into the playoffs every year or Steph or KD. So, you know, I know a lot of people were complaining when the Lakers got knocked down and when Brooklyn got knocked out, knocked out. But I mean, like, this is definitely an opportunity for a lot of new guys to show themselves out and, and prove that they are stars in this league as well. Like, Devin Booker had a 40 point game in game one. Trey Young is ascending throughout this, um, throughout this postseason. You know, Giannis is doing the same thing, you know, Aiton and, you know, all these other guys. So, it just de- it just definitely give you know a good opportunity for these for these younger guys who have the potential to become superstars one day to really show like what they're made of in the playoffs. For sure. Um. And yeah, I mean, tonight is game one. Um. And we'll see how that goes. Um. As we wrap up, Nick, let the people know they can find you once again. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Nick Andre ATR. As he, as people may know, I'm very active on NBA Twitter. You know, you know, basketball writer, basketball analyst, covering everything from high school to the NBA. So yeah, just just check me out. There. All right, and for me, you know where to find me at at FBL underscore Sam on Twitter, and um, check out the stuff that we are doing at the Strickland Nick's website. Check that out for sure. And we out. Yeah.